It's Monday, January 13th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Iran is kind of used to being public enemy number one. But when the people who live there feel the same, that's a whole different ballgame. Then Australia is still reeling from massive wildfires tearing through the country. And now some are pointing the finger at the government, saying it's not doing enough. And finally, the big winner of the Oscar nominations. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by ESPN. Tune in to the college football playoff national championship game between number one LSU and number three Clemson on January 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on ESPN. The most complicated story today is about Iran, suddenly finding itself on the defensive. Last Friday, we told you about the crash of a Ukrainian International Airlines plane in Iran. We thought that efforts to figure out what exactly caused the crash would be really difficult. Iran claimed the crash was caused by an equipment problem. The U.S. and Canada and major news outlets said it looked more like Iran had shot down the plane with a missile. On Saturday, Iran finally fessed up, confirming that yes, it was them who shot down the plane unintentionally. But it's not just world leaders who are angry about this turn of events. Iranians themselves are also upset with the government's handling of the plane crash and its aftermath. It felt like a 180 from last week, when thousands turned out to honor Iranian General Qasem Soleimani, who'd been killed by the U.S. Now, thousands of people in Iran have taken to the streets to protest the government's actions and are even calling for Iran's supreme leader to step down. For a country where the regime historically holds such a tight grasp, it's kind of a shocking twist. So today we're going to get into why Iran's admission over the plane crash has caused this huge backlash in Iran, and what impact this shift could have in how the rest of the world views the country. On our Friday episode, we explained that Iran had been holding firm, that last week's airline crash, which killed 176 people, was due to some sort of equipment failure. But on Saturday, Iran had a change of heart and confirmed, you're right, it was us after all. Iranian President Hassan Rouhani apologized on Twitter, saying human error was to blame for a, quote, great tragedy and unforgivable mistake. And he said they were investigating and prosecuting to figure out who precisely was to blame. But Iran's foreign minister, Javad Zarif, took a slightly different approach. Before offering his apology for the crash, he chose to point the finger at the U.S. He said the human error that shot the plane down was, quote, caused by U.S. adventurism. As in, none of this would have happened if the U.S. weren't in a conflict with Iran, or if the U.S. weren't so involved in the Middle East. That argument didn't go over great in Iran. On Saturday, thousands of people gathered in Tehran, the capital, to protest not the U.S., but the Iranian government. In footage shot by Reuters, protesters can be heard chanting, shameless, and death to the dictator. That bit about the dictator was a reference to Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei, who's led Iran for 30 years. In addition to being appointed rather than being elected, Khamenei is famously extreme about his anti-American opinions. And the timing on these protests is really kind of bizarre, because Just days before, Iranians had been in the streets mourning the death of one of their top generals, who'd been killed in a U.S. drone strike. For a bit, it looked like Iranians had united behind the Iranian government and in opposition to the U.S. 
something Khamenei probably loved to see. So those big pro-government rallies just a few days ago made this weekend's anti-government protests feel like a big swing in public opinion. But we should point out that for the past year, Iranians have been pretty vocal in their grievances against the Iranian government. Those protests were mostly about the economy. People in Iran were frustrated with austerity policies that were cutting spending for programs people needed to get by. Some Iranian politicians had promised that the 2015 nuclear deal with the U.S. and other countries would lead to economic growth in Iran. But when that didn't work, leaders began to argue that shared economic sacrifice would unite the country. That didn't go over well, especially with young people who were frustrated that when the going gets tough, they suffer, while politicians escape the pain. And in November, protests in Iran became violent. The government was accused of killing over a thousand protesters. That recent history might help explain why so many Iranians were ready to take to the streets this weekend, to argue that the Iranian government's opposition to the U.S. had become a deadly obsession. Suzanne Maloney is the deputy director of the Foreign Policy Program at the Brookings Institution. This is consistent with a long-standing desire on the part of many Iranians for a government which is more accountable, which is in fact paying more attention to its own population rather than focused on trying to expand its influence abroad. But speaking out like this was also a dangerous move. Iran's government wasn't very sympathetic about these latest protests either. Riot police used tear gas to disrupt them, and some outlets reported that police fired live ammunition, too. Which brings us to how other countries are now responding to the unrest inside Iran. On Sunday, President Trump tweeted a rare message in Farsi, the language spoken by a lot of Iranians. He said the world was watching and that Iran's government should stop killing its own people. Separately, President Trump's also been trying to get other countries to turn their backs on Iran, too. Here he was last week. The time has come for the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Russia, and China to recognize this reality. They must now break away from the remnants of the Iran deal. Turns out the UK is pretty mad at Iran right now, in part because over the weekend, the government arrested the UK's ambassador to Iran, accusing him of taking part in the protests. That earned Iran condemnation not just from the UK, but from France and Germany as well. But Maloney said those condemnations don't necessarily mean countries are about to take things as far as the U.S. has. Case in point, the UK, France, and Germany said yesterday they're still on board with the Iran nuclear deal. While there is legitimate concern about Iranian policies, there is also some sense of conviction that there is shared blame because this was a crisis that was precipitated by Trump administration actions, both with the killing of Soleimani and with the broader approach to take a much more confrontational approach to Iran. So what's the scam? Last week, much of the world was warning the U.S. not to escalate a standoff with Iran. But Iran's admission that it shot down a civilian airplane has changed the script. Now, Iran is on the defensive. First, against its own people but also against global critics who say Iran disregarded public safety and then used violence to stifle dissent at home. And its behavior could make it harder to keep international treaties like the Iran nuclear deal intact. But so far, the countries that remain in the deal, including the UK, France, and Germany, seem to be saying they're still in, even if President Trump is urging them to abandon ship. 
Coming up, why another government is facing criticism for a different kind of crisis. That's next. You've kicked off the new year. Now get ready for kickoff. It's time for the college football playoff national championship game on ESPN. Only two teams remain. On January 13th, number one LSU will face off against number three Clemson in the championship game. Fun fact, both teams are the Tigers. You don't want to miss it. So get out your guac recipe and gather your friends. Then tune into the college football playoff national championship game on January 13th, only on ESPN. Wildfires are continuing to burn through huge swaths of Australia this week. And as of now, there's no end in sight. This one just seems to have a mind of its own. It seems to have a brain. At least 28 people have died. Thousands of homes have been burned. Millions of acres have been completely scorched. And it's estimated that a billion animals have already been killed. It's gotten so bad, the government has started dropping thousands of pounds of food to try to make sure endangered animals who are still alive at least have some chance of survival. These Australian bushfires have been raging and growing since September. And from the very beginning, the government has gotten a lot of grief for how it's handled the situation. First, they were accused of not acknowledging the severity of the disaster fast enough. Then the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, went on a Hawaii vacation as the fires only got worse. People called it insensitive. Here was Morrison talking to the Australian ABC News this weekend. Now, there are things that I could have handled on the ground much better. These are very raw, emotional environments. Now, the government is making some moves. Over the weekend, Morrison called for an inquiry to look into the government's response to the disaster and the role climate change played in all of it. He also promised that the government's policies related to climate change would get another look. That second promise is an important one to a lot of Australians, who say that Australia doesn't exactly have a plan to tackle climate change. Last week, tens of thousands of protesters said the government needs to act. This is a wake-up call for them to change the climate policy, to admit the truth that we are in a climate emergency and to try and get their emissions down to zero fast. But more immediately, the country needs to get these massive fires under control. And local firefighters are getting a much-needed boost from some outsiders. Over the past month, more than 100 U.S. firefighters have traveled to Australia to help out. This was the response on Thursday, as the latest batch of firefighters arrived at Sydney International Airport. As the government struggles to respond to the fires on their own, locals are also banding together to fill in the gaps in support. Facebook groups and new grassroots organizations are helping people who are suddenly without a home find a place to sleep. And local businesses and truck drivers are volunteering to help get food and water to the people battling the fires on the front lines. If you want to help those affected by the bushfires, we've included a link in our show notes. Bit of a royal update for you. Remember, last week, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced that in addition to splitting their time between North America and the United Kingdom, they would also be seeking financial independence. Reportedly, the family didn't know this was coming. And today, for the first time since that big announcement, Prince Harry sat down face-to-face for a meeting with Granny, Queen Elizabeth II, at her estate in Sandringham. Harry's dad and brother were there, too. Meghan, who flew back to Canada to be with her son, called in. After today's meeting, the Queen released a statement saying that she was supportive and that, quote, we respect and understand their wish to live a more independent life as a family while remaining a valued part of my family. 
Today was being called the Sandringham Summit and the Sandringham Showdown. But today's summit is likely not the end of the discussion. Even with the Queen's blessing, the couple still has to figure out the details of disentangling their finances from the royal family. Things like how their taxpayer-funded security detail will be paid for moving forward. For more on what to make of the drama with the royals, we released a special report on the matter last Friday. Check it out in your feed. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the Oscars. Oscar nominations were announced this morning, and the winner is Netflix. Netflix garnered a total of 24 Oscar nominations today, including a Best Documentary nod for American Factory, produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. But having a ton of nominations doesn't always translate to wins. Heading into the Golden Globes last week, Netflix had a whopping 34 nominations, but walked away with just two wins. And where there are nominations, there are also snubs. Lots of people thought actors like J-Lo, Aquafina, and Lupita Nyong'o might get nominated too. But that didn't happen. So grab your popcorn and prepare for a potential revamp of hashtag OscarsSoWhite. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the Skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.